Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening and or watching Man vs. Brand. I'm having one of those days. It's the day when you realize that um, your systems, tools, the people that you leverage, they're great. They're awesome. They come in handy and are so necessary to the daily function and success of your professional and personal life. But there are moments when you need to invest more of your time, energy, and resources into those people, systems, and tools than you actually anticipated. And and if you're not consistently and more than likely, unexpectedly, investing in those things when they need investing in, or some folks like to use the term um, feeding them, um, then you'll find that you might be outpacing your um, methods of support or your methods of support exist in a universe that is larger than your own. One of two things is going to happen. And so I spent a a large part of my day today invested in technology, people, and systems. Technology being the things that actually uh, move my business forward um, lead generation tools, uh, video, audio technology, um, interfacing with uh, project management tools, people being the individuals on the other side of those tools, whether it be help desk, whether it be my own uh, people, and um, systems, which I think sometimes people also describe as tools, but systems being the actual protocols that are in play. Like, what do you do in this moment? And, and, and is everyone on your team understand that this is the way that we approach this um, solution or this problem, right? And so uh, every day I'm seeking to be a better person, but also every day I'm seeking to build a better team, a stronger structure, um, just to be better not only for myself, but for my, my family, my network, my business. And and in the moments where I am at complete frustration, which let's be clear, I am in that moment right now, right? I need someone else to talk me off my cliff. I'm on a cliff. I'm about to go back to a nine to five and hide behind a desk and wait for 559 to appear on my clock. Like a lot of us did at one point in our lives. And, you know, look at Thursday, like it's Friday Eve. Like it is the day before the day that I start anticipating the weekend and I'm only functioning at 50% productivity. Y'all know what I mean. So I want to talk to Will Sampson. Uh, Will is a coach. He's uh, talked a lot and written a lot and created um, tools and strategies around um, individual systems and community systems in order to benefit your life and your business. 
uh, because all of what we accomplish, we can't do it alone. In addition, if we are not role modeling and um, embodying the behaviors, patterns that we want in our teams, in our community, then we ultimately don't build something that is solid enough to sustain and better yet to scale. So let's talk to Will about what he's got going on, some of what he's thinking, and let's see if he can possibly talk me off this cliff. Let's see how good of a coach he actually is. Anyway, I want to introduce you guys to Will Sims. In five, four, three, two, one. Yo, it's 2023 and I have a mind-blowing theory to share. Are you game for it? Let's go. You are listening to Man vs. Brand, meaning you're a man or a woman and you're a brand. Or you're a man or woman who is leading and making a brand. Or maybe you're in fact a part man, part brand cyborg and killing it as a Terminator. With 20 years expertise in guiding and coaching, I'm having the conversations for mans, brands, womans, and corporate conglomerates like Skynet. Hasta la vista, baby. Will, why don't you say hello? Hey there, and thanks for uh, having me on. I'm so delighted to be talking with you and with your listeners today. This is a great opportunity. Absolutely, man. We're glad to have you on and appreciate your time. So, Will, you you cover, uh, when you look at the sort of body of work and kind of what you've done, you cover a wide spectrum of um, solving pain points in, in people's structures. And by structures, I mean that could be business, that could be life. It could be a combination of both. You could be an entrepreneur. You could be an executive, right? Like, so the way that you have structured your life, you have come up with some tools and strategies to address them. My first question for you is what do you find to be, you know, one or two of the most frequent pain points you're hearing from people that you're engaging with and coaching on a regular basis? Yeah, thank you. Um, I love that question. So, the most frequent pain points I hear, first of all, has to do with habits and and how do I create some sense of lasting habits, a, a, a lasting set of habits that I can um, take through my day that I can do consistently? How do I make change happen and make it last? That's the biggest issue. So many of the people that I coach have been caught in this cycle of ups and downs, of plateaus. Uh, they they get to a certain point and then they feel that they're they're not sure how to grow to the next level. They get they get really stuck, and so creating a set of consistent habits that lead you forward each day to the place you're trying to go, I would say is the is the single greatest issue that I face. You know the uh, the writer Annie Dillard she said um, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Right. And so what I find for a lot of the people I'm coaching is they, they can't figure out how to create that set of consistent daily habits that are going to allow them to move forward and get to the place consistently. And consistently means also means when you have days like you're having today, like what do I do when when stuff falls apart? Like, how do I keep going when things fall apart? And and for me and from the clients that I work with. Um, it's really around this set of this set of habits. Um, the other the other thing that I find quite consistently is that people don't really know how to ask for help. We live in this culture that has been driven by a self help narrative 
Um, and I, um, I, I know you and I talked about this before. I really, I make a strong distinction between self-help and personal growth. So um, personal growth is absolutely critical. Nothing, nothing's going to change in my life until I become the author of my own life, until I take control of my own life. But that's very different than self-help. Um, I love that. I don't know if you remember the comedian, George Carlin. He said, you know, why would you read a book? If you read a book by, written by somebody else, well, that's not self-help. That's, that's getting the help of someone else. And so what I find a lot of people is that they feel caught. Uh, they they want to change. They want something to be different. They want to achieve some big goal, but they're not sure how to ask for the help of others. And so really helping people learn how to live interdependently is another key thing that I bring to my clients. All right, so let's let's sort of attack these separately as concepts, right? So I think that both merit a conversation, all right? So let's talk about the first, which is um, developing habits, right? So um, my my year, month, week, day, hour is pretty structured around outcomes that I am moving toward in my immediate life, one to two years, my more longer term life around five years, both in my personal and professional life, right? So figure out some like, this is kind of where I want to go. Um, talk to the experts that I need to talk to, you know, if it's body goals, maybe I'm talking to a, uh, a trainer, if it's financial goals, maybe I'm talking to a financial planner, right? Try to just figure it out. Right. Then I'm thinking about my business, you know, and then moving backwards. I'm the type of guy that like starts at, uh, a result, right. An intended result. And then I, I backtrack and then I become a slave to my calendar. Which right. on days like today is great because everything that I removed from my calendar, I just shifted into another open spot, right? So I, I, I try to never leave things behind um, unless I deem them no longer necessary and pertinent to whatever that goal is, right? Whatever that goal is for the week, for the month, um, so on and so forth. What, what I find interesting, though, is that it is oftentimes easier for me to adhere to a sense of time, a sense of habit, when I'm doing this on my own. And, and, and listen, business owners, especially small business owners, entrepreneurs, parents, teachers, we all kind of are think functioning in a lot of the same spaces, right? There's another body that needs you. And when that body needs you, everything else sort of becomes a bit less structured in that moment until you assessed what the need is, right? So when I'm in my own schedule and everything else is working in its schedule, right? Every, every, every person in my life is working in a schedule. My business is working in my schedule. I'm good. Right. right. Someone's right. having a meltdown. I now look up at the clock and it's three hours later. Now right. the problem has been addressed and it's going to save me time in the long term because 
we've gotten clarity on what happened. We have addressed it in the right way. But I feel like I, I have a habit of stopping whatever I'm doing, no longer adhering to my schedule, and then investing a disproportionate amount of time into the the crisis or the thing that's happening in that moment. Is that normal? Am, am I am I suffering from like some sort of savior complex, and that's part of my habit? Like, what am I doing? Because um, I need to figure out how to be more concise. Yeah. With the time that I allot and the space that I also have allotted for like free time, transfer right. time, you know, downtime, sure. productive time. I don't know. As soon as something happens, boom, three hours later, I'm a podcast host. So, you know, I like to talk and fix stuff. Right. right? So right. you probably imagine I'm doing this. Right. So, right. so, so how do you break that habit? Is that uh, a normal habit for someone in leadership? Um, and what's maybe a healthy alternative uh, yeah. to someone who who needs to be calendar driven, but also can lend themselves to deviating and deviating for long periods of time? Yeah, um, I, and <laughs> this is I knew we were going to do some coaching. I, I don't do therapy. So so the whole uh, savior complex, I can't deal with on this. Oh, <laughs> on. But, I, see, I see a plaque on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> There is a PhD hanging on the wall. Exactly. <laughs> Here, here's, here's the best way to think about it. Um, so often we think about habits as things we do or don't do, um, yep. that we do or don't do. Um, but, and we often think about, we often focus on the do and we don't focus enough on the we. And here's, here's what's, what seems to be true. It's certainly true in my work with my clients and I'm finding a ton of research around this that... Um, <clears throat> You know, if you read any of the great books on habits, so James Clear's Atomic Habits, uh, B.J. Fogg's Tiny Habits, there's there's this kind of there's this great leap from you're you're a guy or a, a girl reading a book, you're going to want this, and then you're going to do certain things, and they're going to happen, and that's actually not the way the human mind works. The human mind tends to prioritize what we say is important to us, and the way we prioritize things is by what identities we assign to ourselves. There's some really fascinating research. It was published. Um, I read about it in the Washington Post, but it was actually published in the National Institute, Institutes of Health that people who describe themselves as athletes, they exercise more, they, uh, they, they show up for the gym, they meet their, their, their goals and so on. And so often when we, when we think about habits, the, the sort of hack coaching approach is, oh, you want to develop a habit of going to the gym? Well, Put your shoes by the front door. Put your gym clothes on the night before. And the problem is we do that. And then a couple couple weeks later, we have fallen off and we never really like eventually the shoes are at the back of the those new you know running shoes that we bought are at the back of the closet gathering dust. And we didn't really do it. Why? Because we tried to get the, we tried to put the habit ahead of the identity shift. Yep. And it's so critical. And so so even with with you. Like my, Wait, if I, yeah. if, give me one second. So we're yeah. talking about identities and you're differentiating coaching from therapy in this moment. Just want to put it out there that we're actually having a therapy conversation that you are frameworking as coaching, but we're talking about identities <laughs> and how we assign ourselves identities and the outcome of those assignments. And that sounds a little like therapy, but anyway, I want you to continue. And no, talk to me about me. Please. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's an amazing pushback. Thank you. But it, but we we do the things we think we are. Yep. So, um, you know, I tell like like for a lot of especially young people who are who are trying to figure out how to move out of that nine to five grind you were talking about, or even how to you know how to um, have greater success within their organ within a large organization. I tell people that that you know start calling yourself an entrepreneur. Like that's right away. Start to call yourself an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs do certain things. Athletes do certain things, um, you know. And and so with you know when when we find ourselves getting out of priority or getting out of um, you know getting out of whack in terms of what we hoped would be true and what we hoped we would accomplish, the first question I always ask is who 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 are you being during those times? What and and is that consistent with what you want to be? Is it consistent with how you want to show up in the world? Um, and it may be it may be that it is, and you need to reprioritize the way your you know your your schedule is is configured. Um, or more likely, it's it's the answer is somewhere in that identity question. Yeah. See, when we think about transformation, I've I've come up with this sort of four step approach, which seems to work really well with my clients, because we often live in our head, and so. We know something wants to change. So our brain says, I want to do this. I want to run a marathon. I want to lose weight. I want to uh, start a business. I want to start a podcast, whatever that is. And that's a, that's a head um, action. And then there's that sort of gut habit action, which is, okay, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to start, I'm going to start by running a mile first, whatever. Um, but really in between is that space between the the head and the, and the gut, which is our heart. And that's where our identity lives. Um, and so really creating new identities that, that are framed around who we want to be and how we want to show up in the world. That is the absolute key to lasting habit stacks, because what happens is then we, we achieve a certain amount of success um, in habit stack language often we create one keystone habit and that's the habit we like, we know we're going to do that every day. And then we start to build our stack of habits around that. Um, but when we have a certain amount of success, we begin to rebuild self-trust. We, we begin to trust ourselves again. And so we say, I can try, I can do this next big thing, this next thing that was bigger than I could have imagined two things ago, but now I'm going to try this because I've, I've proven to myself that I'm trustworthy. I've proven to myself that I'm worthy of, of that, you know, that I'm able to find success in these areas. Yeah. I mean, in, in listening to and sort of digesting uh, your overall analysis of habit forming and habit uh, sustainability right. and also um, clinically um, investigating my own condition, I feel. No, I'm just kidding. I, guys, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Um, I, I, you know, I, th I think I realized that, like, if I could have a really, um, left of intent day, but also be able to show up from this podcast and tell jokes and sit with you and also figure out how the rest of the stuff that I didn't get to will be accomplished and someone in my life who I hold value for and the technology in my life that I rely on are now addressed, then maybe the habit isn't really as bad, right? Like maybe that thing isn't so um, 
So, um, uh, topsy turvy in a way that, you know, it, it's really a determiner for my week or for my month. Right. Now, here, here's the, the bigger question, right? Is so if your head is where you create the concept, your gut is where you drive your principal or initial actions. Mm-hmm. And your heart is where you determine, in a way, how you triage or prioritize that thing based on the other hats and other supporting or conflicting hats or identities that you wear. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Where does the emotional response come in, right? Because there, there is a part of it yeah. that you could feel like I do, maybe stable in my life, stable in my relationships. I am confident in my days. I understand how they are structured. I accomplish the the Pareto's principle, the twenty percent that will get me to success. I'm doing all of the things and my day shifts it for three hours. And I'm like, I'm going to address it. And then I'm going to, I don't know. I'm gonna, I think I, I think I started cooking like just randomly. Like, <laughs> I started, like I needed something else to focus my attention on. So I started, I baked an entire fish and like started cooking and I took this sort of this extra 30, 40 minutes to like be in my kitchen singing, cooking, and enjoying the day that I should be, I guess now doubling down on time efficacy. Yeah. And it was a weird reaction that I was kind of like, wow, I didn't really know this. I wasn't sad about it, I wasn't depressed. I could acknowledge that I was having an an off day because certain things had happened that were outside of my control. But my response to it was to find a place of joy and lean into it where I could also see a space where I then become either super distracted and I'm stuck in social media IG for a while because I don't want to get to the, I'm procrastinating on the things I want to do. Or I'm just like, F it all. I'm going for a run I don't even want to think about this, right? Or, or whatever, right? There's there's a spectrum of emotion that's involved. So where does the emotional part come from, right? Because if the heart is choosing the identity and the brain is is creating the action and maybe the gut is defined the action, where do you find that remote emotional response to be from? Because a lot of people have emotional yeah. responses to their habits succeeding or failing. Right, right. And a lot of our emotions are trapped up in trauma, past stories of, of, you know, past failures, things like that. But um, there's an amazing book by Lisa Barrett um, called How Emotions Are Made. And the reality is that we program our emotions how we want them to be. (laughs) We, we, We choose, you know, we can actually program our emotions. And you know, um, I think, you know, part of my story is that I'm a person in long-term recovery and everyone in recovery knows the serenity prayer, right? Serenity, courage, wisdom. Um, and, and I find that, um, you know, serenity is something that I can practice when, um, things happen that I didn't expect, but I also work on practicing what I call active serenity. So the reality is 
there's a whole bunch of things in the world that I can't change. Like I, I, Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine. I like, I need to know that it happened because I need to be a global citizen, but I can't do anything about it. And so I don't read that or I don't read those articles because I don't need to know about them. And, and I, I think that's, you know, we can often feel trapped or victimized by our emotions, but the reality is that they are just simply thoughts. They're thoughts we think, and we can think different thoughts. I mean, anyone who has gone through the process of either overcoming trauma or really even just reprogramming, reprogramming their mind to, you know, accomplish something big has done exactly that. They've reprogrammed their brain and in so doing, they um, they reprogram their emotions to match the need. Um, because I find that, um, you know, the, the 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 more time I spend as an entrepreneur, the more time I spend in recovery, the more time I spend in personal growth, um, I, um, I, I generally live kind of in the middle of the road emotionally. Um, I don't experience a lot of high highs. I don't experience a lot of low lows. I'm able to sort of walk down the center, um, which is where my rational brain loves to do its best work. Because when I'm overly elated about what could be, oftentimes I'm caught up in what the future was or, or what future could be rather, or, or some hope. It's just hope at that point. You're in the when, multiverse. Yeah. Right. But when I'm on the other side of the street and I'm, I'm mopey and depressed, I'm living in past narratives or I'm living in some view of story of failure of myself, neither of which are true. First of all, the future hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And the past is just the, is just a set of stories. Yes, there may have been specific events that caused me to believe certain things, but my emotions are things that I fully control. Um, now, I will say, and you'd ask me what the two things were, and the other one is kind of how we ask for help. And I think that does kind of cross over into where emotions come in, because I, I think other I think we can employ our network to to help us with our emotions as well. Um, but yeah, we program our emotions. We are in control of them. And what we do with them is what we choose. So in hearing your story, I, I was um, I was interested and um, fascinated for, for lack of a better term. Um, but I, I, but I, I truly believe it was a bit of fascination um, in, in hearing this sort of duality of um, uh, of a person in recovery challenging habits that they had once created also, using that knowledge and the collective knowledge of their experience, their lived experience, the experience of the people that they're working with to form new takes on existing ideas around habits. Right. So it's, it's right. And so, so what I became fascinated by and I figured let me ask this on the um, episode as respectfully as possible which were you interested in first were you a habit driven guy who had developed a habit or were you a person who had a habit 
that then became interested in what drove habits because yeah. there, there, it's it's there's it's an interesting sort of relationship there that yeah. um I was like wow that's fascinating um which of those was became first in order for the other to become primate or yeah. however you tell your story I'm gonna let you yeah 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 no thank you um and it's a big part of my my personal habit stack journey um so what happened for me was um I got sober during COVID really I, I started getting sober before COVID sure. um and then when everything was getting getting shut down here in the United States and globally as well, but everything was getting shut down, the you know uh, we weren't able to hold recovery meetings in person. Well, I had been working with this product that nobody had ever heard of called Zoom, <laughs> but I had been working with Zoom for a number of years, and I said, hey, I you know I got this product, it's really great. We could we could take these meetings online. Um, and what happened was I became the sort of um, because I was willing to serve others because I was willing to put myself in a position of help to other people. Um, I found myself in this position of daily service to a particular community. And the way that worked was I had been doing that for uh, quite some time, about a year. Um, and I found myself in, in sort of this habit chaos internal conversation where I was saying, Oh, will you never do what you, you never do what you say you're going to do and you don't follow through on stuff. And then I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, that's just not true. You've been doing the same thing every day for a year now. What else could you do? And so I said, well, I could, I could become more of an athlete. I could, I could return to an athletics, a, for, a future, a former athletic self. I could start being an athlete again. I could get up in the, get to the gym before the meeting. Oh, well, that's great. And so that was a month or two. And then, um, I started thinking of myself as somebody who ate well and, and lived really in a good nutritional, sustainable lifestyle. Um, so I found in, so I started doing intermittent fasting. And what happened was that that morning meeting was my keystone habit. That's the phrase that James Clear uses. But it became the habit that I built the whole stack around. Um, and so because. For, for years when I was when I was in active addiction and even before that, um, you know, I always had a sense that that I could be doing great things, that I could be doing big things. Um, but I always failed myself. Wasn't I mean, I was letting other people down, sure, around me, but more than anyone, I failed myself. And it was only through that process of sort of being in consistent service to others, doing something well on a regular basis. Um, that I began to have enough success and enough, you know, personal trust where I began to believe myself again. What happens for people in addiction is they stop believing themselves. So you say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop drinking tomorrow, or I'm going to stop eating the way I've been eating, or I'm going to stop gambling, whatever, whatever your, your, uh, your, uh, gambling, your addiction of choices. Yeah. I'm going to do that tomorrow and you don't. And so over time, you start to think you're full of crap. Yeah. <laughs> like you stop believing in yourself. And so what happened was over time, as I began this process of believing in myself again, and there were people that helped that process too. I don't want to lose track of that thread. But as I started believing in myself again, I said, well, what else could I do? Well, I could go to the gym. I could run a Spartan race. I could, you know, I could start eating well. I could start meditating. I could start, 
you know, increasing my learning, my daily learning, things like that. And so, um, so it, it was, it was very much, you know, I often tell people that sobriety and recovery is my kind of my superpower because what I found in that process was things that I had no idea I was capable of. And now every day is a new journey to see what I can push myself forward toward. It's funny that you say that because um, I'm oftentimes in conversation personally and professionally with folks and a lot of of what some really potentially powerful culture moving industry moving folks are missing is self trust right and a sense of completion where they're the driver of the goal right those two things right like i don't really trust myself i don't trust my decision making i don't trust the relationships i'm in i, I just don't i don't trust me and and i i feel as if or i've told myself that i have failed at finishing right. and completing the things that i set forth so it may be yeah, I got in a marriage and my wife said I needed a, a high paying job or yeah, uh, my family told me that I need to be a doctor or yeah, um, I knew that the best way for me to be successful was to do this thing. Yeah. But those, th those were things that, that was my, that was my, those were exterior drivers, right? Like I, I try to lose 15 pounds and I can't do it. Right. I, I try to. And very simple things. I tried to um, take an hour of self time for myself right. uh, in a day, and I can't do it. Right, and and you're doing all these other really great things, right? But secretly harboring all of these fears. Then you have the larger stuff, like you have really great business concepts, but they never get to market, right? Or you know, you you could be uh, a senior vice president. Right. But but you're there when when opportunities for electing yourself to be that are given, you don't. Right. Or, or finally. You are never in an environment that presented you with yeah. a sense of accountability and responsibility that right. said you could do it if you only tried. Right. right. So so they're existing in different spaces for different reasons. But, you know, what you said about self-trust and and what I also interpreted as a sense of completion or, or finishing, um, which then earns you that self-trust again, I think is really important, um, not only to building habits, which build lives, right? Because you, you, how, you how you form your days, how you form your life, but just also in how you relate to others. And how you will relate to intimate relationships like children, family, partnerships, right? Because you're also through being a proxy for a role model displaying behaviors that they will decide to adopt or not adopt, right? So not only are you, and, 
and listen, I don't think that everyone needs to be responsible for everybody in their life and being right. a role model for everybody in your life. But true, how we are is how we are, we are, are, um, showing up in the world, right? And so in a way, when you, when you don't have that self-trust, you don't have that completion, um, you may, you may be doing yourself a disservice mm-hmm. because you aren't trusting your present self, right? Which doesn't allow you to build the future self that you believe you're struggling to to become. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Your future self is is uh, is can is requires a fully reconciled fu- uh, past you. That's certainly true. The other thing that I find, Dion, is um, for there is a role for those of us that are finding personal growth to speak into the lives of others. So one of the one of the most powerful people try to figure out why certain programs like 12 step programs work so well. And it's because that 12 step is if this stuff worked for you, give it away and now turn around and give it back to others. Um, I think in the same way. We have the ability to begin to invest love and belief in other people who don't have it, who can't make that for themselves. I actually, it's a term I call emotional capitalism. So like we know what venture capital is, which is I give money to Mark Zuckerberg and he creates Facebook and I get 100x or 500x, whatever back. Um, But in the same way, I think that for those of us that have had the, um, that have had the privilege of achieving a certain level of personal growth and are really now on this, on our own personal hero's journey, we can invest in the people around us because often it's true that what's missing is just that simple love and belief in ourselves in order to do that thing. For all the people you mentioned, um, I would guess that, that, you know, there's probably, there's a whole series of issues that need to be worked out, but more than anything, it's that ability to truly love themselves, that ability to truly believe in themselves and to create a, um, a deep intrinsic sense of motivation, not inspired by anybody else, not inspired by culture, not, not living up to your, your mom or your dad's expectations, not living up to your boss's expectations, but it's what it's the, it's the book that you know you want to be the author of when you become truly a self author then you can begin to uh, move forward in the world and speak into the lives of others. But often we, we need that love and belief to get to that place. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I've ever read or, or saw this, but I um, ask folks and I ask myself, when I'm, I'm in spaces where I am, um, trying to get over through, um, uh, wade, cause sometimes it's not about movement. Sometimes you're just wading through until you figure it out. Right. Um, I ask myself or, or them, what emotion do you see when you look in the mirror like what emotion is recognizable to you right are you happy and going through something traumatic which may be okay because you may be you might be you might be moving through it in a positive way 
Are you sad for something that you should be happy for? You got this promotion and everyone else in your life is like, yeah, you finally got it. But every time you look in the mirror, you seem really upset by it. Right. Like, um, disappointment. I've talked to a lot of people in recovery. That's a, a, a face that an emotion that they connect with very often right. is, um, disappointment. They, they, it's the next day, the next night. It's the week after and you're reconciling. So to your earlier point, maybe this promise that you made to yourself. Right. Right. That you might have, have, um, broken or on the other side, you see yourself for who you were under all of the stories that you told yourself, right? Yeah. Where you're like, I see me, I see happiness, I see sadness, right? Like I see all of it where maybe when I was in addiction, I only saw one portion. Right. Yeah. Um, and so to that point, I, I want to use that to sort of, uh, move into what your second point is. Okay. Of of the two, right? Yep. Um. So when I look at myself, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the what I've chosen as my identity and I've looked at the people around me and what they've chosen as their identities and we're processing traumas with one another and figuring out if we should go to therapy or not. I think all of us, a lot of people in my circle right now are like in the authorship space. So we're all trying to figure out the key things that we want to address, right? Like we're, we're all kind of functioning in that same space. And um, what I realized in in looking at myself and looking at others is that we 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 can sometimes assign identities that are so rigid yeah. that it really doesn't allow for us to grow. Like right. I can't be a coach all the time. I need to be a student. Right. I need to be a listener. I can't be a speaker all the time. Um, I, I can't. I can't be. I can't be the most knowledgeable person in the room all the time, right? Not to say that I am, but just to say that that can't be what I lock in as my identity because that really then robs me room for growth. Right. Um, I talk to so many coaches who I'm like, man, you need some coaching right now. Like, (laughs) do you hear? Because you're so used to hearing yourself. Right. And so used to having your points reflected to solve other people's issues right. that in doing so it reveals some stuff that you may also need to work through. And oftentimes stuff that I find that I also need to work through. I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> do I, am I like that? I need right. to do some self-inspection to figure that out. Right. right. So, so how do we know aside from we're, we're always supposed to be in a space of, learning right. and development, how do we know when we're at a point where we are, we are actually in a space where growth is required from us, where development is required from us, where, where the identities that we have developed and affirmed for ourselves may not be 
in alignment with the outcomes that we want for our lives? How do we figure out that we need more development than what we currently have in our arsenal? Yeah. Um, we, we, we're able to get to that place when we live interdependently, when we live in mutual dependence with other people. So in our, in our culture, we've become so afraid of codependence and that's a rational fear, like codependence an unhealthy need for another person is, is unhealthy. It's, it's bad, you know, psychologically it's, it's problematic. It's pathological, but it's equally pathological to believe that we are completely independent. So I, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs. I listen to a lot of entrepreneurs on podcasts and invariably there's this kind of story. Like I did this all myself. I remember I was listening to a, an entrepreneur. This was a few months ago, you know, young guy in his thirties. And the interviewer was asking him, you know, why did you feel that you need to make it all on your own? And he said, well, I was all alone. My mom was off working two jobs. And my first thought was, wow, how amazing. You had a mom who worked two jobs. So you had food and, and clothes for school and a roof over your head. You know, the, the, the best example of this is, um, uh, there was a young record store owner who was very driven, but he wasn't very good with his financial management. And he had gotten on the other side of, of his taxes and he was about to go bankrupt. The city of London was about to close his little record store um, until his mom mortgaged her home. She kept that little business afloat. And, you know, however, 40, 50 years later, we have Richard Branson. I mean, he was, you know, that's the story of Branson. So the reality is that we, we sort of recognize when we think, well, where do I get my electricity from? When, where, how do I get gas in my vehicle or, or electricity to run my electrical vehicle? You know, we recognize interdependence. But when we start asking questions like you're asking, we think, well, I've got to come up with the answers all by myself. No, you don't. No, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Now, again, falsely depending on another person is, is not uh, wise. But I think when we can create these relationships of interdependence where we um, allow, where we feel like we're doing life together with people and we give people permission to speak into our lives. They're really going to help us see those areas where we need to grow. They're going to help us see. Um, I mean, I, I run three different masterminds um, every week um, of people who are all trying to grow and, Every one of them has permission to ask me questions about what I'm doing right now. So when we check in, I'll check in. I'll say, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I worked on since last time we were together. Here's what I'm going to be working on. Here's how I need help from the group. And because I allow myself, I put myself in a position for them to say, hey, you know, you said you were going to be releasing this course, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Tell me what's going on there. Like, do you need help? Is there, have, Do you need to reassess your schedule? Like they have permission to speak into my life that way. Um, and that's what, that's what I think living in, you know, mutual dependence or interdependence can look like. And I think it's especially vital for those of us that live really busy entrepreneurial lives. You know, the guy who is a, a middle manager at a large company and he goes home and he rides his jet ski on the weekends He's doing fine. He's doing fine. He's got his life and that's his, that's the identity that he's chosen. But for those of us that, that really feel like, wow, we're here to do something really big in this world. Um, you know, living in, in interdependent relationships, living in places, living in ways <coughs> that other people can 
really speaking to our life, I think is absolutely vital. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think what, what's, what's really key about what you're saying is, is that, that there is a sense of transparency yeah. and reciprocity, right? Like you can't just be the person pouring into everyone's lives. You can't be feeding everyone information. If you're not also being fed, you're going to exhaust yourself. Right. And, and having relationships that are, um, that are reciprocal, but that are, that have permission not to be equal. Right. It's okay. Right. Cause every relationship won't be, uh, this one thing for one thing. Right. Or, you know, um, some it's like, I'm going to take your calls and deal with you. But if you don't actually have someone who can also take your calls and be willing to take their calls, then you'll, 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 you'll consistently burn out, um, of, of what you are describing as emotional capitalism. I believe it's, I believe that was yep, your that's the term. Yep. You, you'll be investing so much. There'll be no return, right? right. Because you're, right. you're not investing properly. So you're just going to be spending, spending, spending. And then the moment you're broke, you have now spent to people who weren't possibly generating on your behalf during the time. And so you'll, you'll need to ask of them something that you have not asked of them before. And I think that's great because that then allows your relationships to grow. Because if you're only providing and they're only receiving, then being transparent enough to say, I don't have, can you... Right. right in your own way allows for your relationship dynamic to shift and there to be um a change in in position of who's doing what right and in that way i think relationships can grow i have a question for you yeah um that's related to identities um uh anyone who's not from uh, a major city you may experience this it's it's a kind of working theory that i have i've never actually talked about this outside of people that live in this city. So um, I'm going to see if Will can help me because something that I'm really, really um, working through some theories on guys. So uh, if you want to get sort of slightly nerdy, slightly sort of socially interested, this might be for you. Okay. So I live in New York, right? Yep. I was born in New York, left New York to go to school traveled, came back to New York. Um, in those times, I, I've, I've like lived in LA, lived in some other places, just as, as, as like a 20, early 30-something-year-old learning about life, right? I want to live place. I want to live in Atlanta. I want to try LA. I want to try New York, Boston, right? Like all those places. <sighs> Which it, I also have on my mom's side of family that grew up in the Carolinas, Okay. Yeah. Very small town, Carolinas. Um, and my grandfather moved to New York and that's how my family, um, he came from New York. My grandmother grew up also in the Carolinas, also in small part Carolinas. They have probably, I think between them two, maybe they had like a total, like maybe 16 siblings, let's say. Right. So, um, big family, small towns. I grew up in a small family, big town. Right. Right. So it's interesting because I know what small town life looks like, but I've always lived in a big city. Right. 
there are people that come to cities like New York specifically to change their identity, mm -hmm. whether sure. that changes for growth, whether that changes to outpace something that they no longer want to be associated with. Right. Um, some of it may be to live in a future version of themselves that they have envisioned. Right. But I find oftentimes that in those cases, I am talking to an identity that has recently been constructed. Sure. Yeah. So, so that there are inconsistencies in what I'm being shown or displayed and what I am becoming aware of through right. behavior or through active listening. Right. And it's, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've been always sort of trying to rectify like, great. This intern came from Nebraska. She lives in New York. She wants to be high fashion. She wants to be, you know, she wants to be, she wants to climb into social circles but in doing so, she's spending her money in ways that is going to end in, in, in that, that are, that, that are not sustainable, right? To, in order to fit in, um, maybe not visiting home as much because I don't want to be associated with that anymore. Um, and maybe just investing time and energy into developing an identity that that in developing an identity but also wanting trust in what that identity mm -hmm. is doing and saying as being the whole person right does that make any level of sense because because it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by like LA New York, Atlanta, just like a lot of big cities, London, wherever, it may, it may happen in small towns. Now, the reason why I mentioned small towns earlier is because I think that when you have familial social ties that have been a little longer lasting, right? You, yes, you, it may inhibit some parts of you developing into an outlier or something that people don't see from you, but it also keeps you accountable to who you have been. Right. You know, well, you might be this now and, and not to weaponize it, but you were also this right. There's this this sense of history and story that you get to decide whether you want to accept or not accept. It's interesting, though, how many people I meet that I'm like, oh, you became this person just last year. Right. <laughs> Who yeah. were you before that? This person. Because right. That person actually might get further sure possibly possibly than yep. the person that you think by constructing or this identity that you think by constructing it is the way to go like is is that a real thing like i don't, yeah. I, don't I don't know it's like it's this weird thing that i've been kind of like playing around with and just how how to develop long relationships with individuals <laughs> who had just developed the identity that they're existing in <laughs> became the thing they are. Oh. Yeah. No, it's a great question. And I actually saw a microcosm of this in Lexington, Kentucky, which you might not think of as a big city, but if you're from Pikeville or hazard, it's a big city. Um, yeah. And so 
Um, Lexington is a really interesting city <clears throat> because it is primarily comprised of people who were born in Kentucky, but born in, in, in small towns of Kentucky. And they, what happened was they came to the university of Kentucky or they came to Georgetown college where I used to teach in, in Georgetown, Kentucky, and then they would stay, they wouldn't go back. Yep. Um, so there, there certainly is, this is kind of where we are in history. There was a sociologist named George Zimmel who wrote about this in the early 1900s, like people coming from rural areas, coming into the cities, and now they have to create these new identities to be the kind of people that live in cities. Yeah. Um, I think what's different, though, is, um, you know, for the last, let's say, 20 years or so, um, we are now in such a globalized information culture yeah. that you can you can craft an identity without paying the cost of it. Yeah. And then, and then you move to, to someplace where you think you can live that, live out that identity. And that identity may be true, or it may be the way that Instagram influencer wanted you to s see themselves. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's not necessarily a real thing. And so um, I'm glad you asked that question though, because I use the term identity and that can get confused with, some of the worst kinds of branding. I know you talk a lot about branding and I think authentic branding is what we're all seeking, yep. but there's a big difference between branding and cosplay or like or the, between branding and just putting on a costume and trying to be a thing. Cause you think that's what people will like. Um, so, and, and I think too, just because I think that there's something really super powerful in that is that branding is ultimately what others collectively believe believe about you. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Where yeah. identity is what you now have decided you are going to portray to the world, which yeah. so your brand may actually not be in alignment with your identity because how people are believing and perceiving you may be different than what you believe you are displaying. And right. so there may be a, a it may, there, there may, it, it may be in alignment, but it may also not be in alignment because a brand is not just what you believe about yourself. It's also the habits, the behaviors, the practices that you're displaying, which then allow people to believe in that thing that they're experiencing. Just want to say, because I think you're, you make a really, really solid point about the differentiation between brand and identity. Yeah. Yeah. And if we, uh, Anna, what was her name? Anna Sorkin, Anna. No, Anna Sorkin. And Sorkin, yeah. So eventually, I think most of those false identity, attempts at identity deconstruct and they fall apart on their own. Now, there are some people who carry along cons, long cons and fake identities for decades. But generally speaking, those things tend to fall apart. And I think it's because, you know, if, if, if I'm right that there's this strong link between who we say we are and what we're able to do, Eventually, if who we say we are isn't consistent with who we really are, then our habits and our ability to even perform are going to start to fall apart. And that's certainly what I what I see a lot. You know, I, I, I in in a earlier time, I did a lot of work with activists, particularly environmental people working on environmental activism. And um, it was pretty easy to tell the um, the truly you know, the kid, the, the activists who were really there, who understood why they were there, they had a deep connection to the environment, to the planet. 
and those who uh, thought it'd be a good way to pick up chicks or they wanted to score, you know, they wanted to score some ketamine. So, so they heard there was a big rally or a rave or whatever. So it, you know, you could, you could see it and, it, and, and it was just a matter of time until that, that came to be true. And I, I think that's true. Now, what's different though, is that now because of the globalized information culture, we need to, um, I think we need to do more work or we need to be more aware of the need to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be self-honest, um, and to and to create um, relationships of interdependence where we call people into those kinds of things. Now, let's remove a value system on it. So I try to use an, uh, an intern really to give a yeah. sense of maybe like, um, it's not malice, it's maybe not intentional, it's just what she wanted. But, 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 but let's let's kind of broaden it and take a value system away from it and say, um, much of being an entrepreneur is about not really knowing, but embodying, right. and then hoping that the result of what you're trying to be ends up being the thing that you will. Right? It's the it's, it's in essence the fake until you make it. What, right. what I'm hearing you 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 discuss though is um are you weaponizing your identity right or are you trying to embody your identity right and that that becomes the differentiation right if you're trying to weaponize it to confuse to misdirect to mislead um to 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 um disrupt right community trust then that's not the way to go. But there right. is a version of this where you tell yourself you're an athlete looking at your body composition, but yeah. in one day, five years later, you are in body, in temperament, in habit, now an athlete because yeah. you told yourself that and then did the work in order to achieve it. Absolutely. And it's the difference between, uh, you, you mentioned appreciative inquiry earlier, and it's really the difference between affirmation and appreciative inquiry. So often in the, in the, particularly in the self-help world, but generally the personal growth world will hear, well, you just should affirm what you want to be true. And so you say, well, I have a million dollars in the bank. And your brain says, no, you don't. <laughs> That's not true. Now, an appreciative question is, you know, why, why am I going to be gifted with a net worth of $5 million in the next 10 years, right? That's a different kind of question. So now you're, now you're asking why, anytime you're asking why you're a winner, like anytime you're saying, why is this, why does this exist? And this is, that's the heart of entrepreneurship. Why? I don't know. I don't get it. Why do I have to, you know, um, Travis Kalanick, why do I have to take taxis everywhere? I don't get it. Why couldn't we have a private car fleet? Um, You know, why, why can't people rent out their homes um, and allow people to stay there, Airbnb. You know, the heart of entrepreneurship is asking, the, is is continuing to ask the question why until you either find the answer or realize the need for a solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. I, uh, I don't know. I think we did it. I, I, feel, like, I feel like we have killed this episode. Um, I appreciate your time. I have two questions for you, Will, and then I'm going to ask you to information on how to uh, reach out to you, engage in your content, uh, possibly join a mastermind, get into your coaching program. First question is, um, 
on any streaming platform, could be a podcast and or a book, what's something that you have recently engaged in that you thoroughly enjoy? Oh, um, I just got done. Um, I, I heard Ari Wallach on Rich Roll's podcast talking about Long Path and how we become great ancestors. And it, I, I kind of have always, always had a sense of we're doing this for the future, mm-hmm. but um, engaging with Ari Wallach's content, and I'm about halfway through his book on Long Path, and it blew my mind. I mean, it's just, it's really mind-boggling to, to, to give voice to what I have sensed, which is that we're caught in this time where we, we're, we're so focused on what's, ex- what's around, what's only around us and not really focused on the reality that we are presently creating the world that our grandchildren, great-grandchildren and 10, 20 generations from now will live in. So that's, that's what I've been, that's what's been blowing my mind lately. All right, cool. Um, all right. So on any streaming platform, podcast books included, what's something that you thoroughly enjoy that maybe the average person in your life may not know that you enjoy, right? So what's a movie, a book, a podcast, a, a genre that like you thoroughly enjoy, but it's not obvious to the people around you that you're <laughs> enjoys that thing. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I, um, I will take any opportunity to watch one of the old Christopher Guest movies. So he had these movies like like Best in Show and uh, Waiting for Guffman, which were these mock, it was, he really created the mockumentary. I love the rock mockumentary. I will go out of my way. I've even downloaded, like sometimes when I have a client out in Seattle and sometimes when I'm going out to Seattle, like I'll download, you know, Best in Show and just so I can watch it on my iPad on the, on the uh, flight out. So that's, that's something not, maybe not everybody about in my world knows. So, so I kind of want to talk on this because um, Best in Show um, and that era of Christopher Guest was probably where I truly understood comedy. Yeah. Like, and not just like understood comedy, I understood like, Eugene Levy working with Fred Willard, Catherine O'Hara, Parker Posey. Like they were like, also like, it wasn't just like they were making movies. It was like, they were an ensemble that was like working the same movies kind of. And, but each of them were funny and different. And like the characters were different and the relationship dynamics kept changing. But like, it was it was probably one of the first times that I recognized really talented people working on different projects. Um, and all of them feeling equal in in their talent. Like I don't know. I don't know if, if I'm exactly. right, but there was like, there was the, there was waiting for Guffman, best in show. A mighty uh, wind. Yup. Which, which is yep. the one about the play. Yeah. Uh, that's waiting for Guffman. Yeah. And then the all before, before all of that, there was spinal tap, which was, um, which Christopher Guest was in, but it was directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah. And that sort of, uh, that sort of set the stage. And, you know, you think about it, take, take the office, Yep. The office wouldn't exist without 
without Christopher Guest movies. Yeah. And then what, what follows on from there and even shows, um, you know, that I love like Donald Glover's um, Atlanta, there's, yeah. there's these, there's this sort of fourth, fourth wall element, even in these great shows like Atlanta, where, where they're part of now this stream, this tradition kind of like, what would it be like? What would life be like if somebody was following you around all the time? Yeah, but it's, but also I think it's also to me like sort of what um, I think some of and it's funny that now that I'm thinking about it, it, it does work in drama also. But like it's kind of like Will Ferrell has this group that he surrounds himself with, right? And you can expect cameos from them in almost all his movies, right? Um, it. Uh, Oh my God. Why can I not think of this man's name? I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, Tommy boy. Um, Oh, Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler. Yeah, right. Yep. This, this same sort of like sort of dynamic where there's this group of talented people. I think right. that with the Christopher guests, I feel like all of them felt like they were equal. Like all of their characters had these shining moments where in other ones, maybe the person was a guest or maybe it was like a, funny side joke that the person participated in. In this one, like, even an obscure character became funny. Now, I think yeah. I see it in the movies that have... Hold on. My God, I feel so bad. I feel like I am... In this moment, I feel like I'm 20, because I feel like I have no memory for any <laughs> of the older, like, yeah. comedians. But hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you... One now, oh, uh, it, it, it felt like that, uh, mentioning, I'm going to keep it on the Donald Glover, community feels like that for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ensemble, everyone's funny. Yep. Everyone has their part. Everyone's yep. going to shine. Um, yep. Even the supporting character on left is going to come out and it's going to bring a moment that's going to feel right for the yep. story right for the like they're 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 I, I just remember like that being an early 2000s at that point I was 20 and just being like just movie after movie and I think best in show is my first one yeah yeah and um Jennifer Coolidge Coolidge it yeah. was Jennifer Coolidge for me Yep. Jennifer Coolidge <laughs> embodied that role so much, right? Jennifer Coolidge like, and Jane Lynch, you need to you need to have both of them. Yeah, yeah like that yeah. dynamic was so <laughs> ridiculous. Parker Posey killed it too, but that that like all of them killed it. But yeah. but she in that role was so um, absurd <laughs> and amazing yeah. that um that that yeah that's one of my favorites too much. So. Uh, glad to connect with you on that. So listen, why don't you let folks know um, where they can engage in your content, where they can find you, um, give, give some supporting information. I'll do the same, but, but let folks know uh, how, to, how to get and consume what you're producing. Yep. So they can come to willsampson.com and Samson doesn't have a P in it. It's just willsampson.com. And um, if you come there, I've got the, that four-step process. I've got that outlined in an infographic they can download. I do a weekly newsletter, which is quite short. It's about five minutes to read on things that I'm, I'm thinking through. Um, so if you enjoyed some of the topics that I brought up, that's the kind of stuff that comes out of my newsletter. Um, I've got a course coming out on Teachable by the end of October called How to Bring Lasting Transformation in, into Your Life. 
uh, I'm sorry, how to create lasting transformation in your life. Um, and then they can find me on, on most of the socials at Will Sampson Change Coach. I'm not really on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet much, but uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, they can find me at Will Sampson Change Coach. All right, man. Listen, I think you are an agent of change. I am so glad to have had you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Everyone who's listening right now, go over, see what Will Sampson is doing and see how that thing applies for you. What he's talking about, I think we all can use. Um, regardless of if you're an adult and you're high functioning and everything's working well, uh, if you're in a rut and need to, to shift and pivot some things that you're doing, or if you have a child or a loved one that you think really could develop some different habits and, and need uh, a community around them to support them in who they will become, um, I think that this could be the right guy to go to. So thank you guys for listening. I love you all. Can't wait to catch if you on the next talk one. resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow me or my guest on all social media platforms. Make sure to look us up on YouTube and check me out anywhere that content like this is being shared. Till next time. Love you. Bye.